Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 10 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. I hope that you're having a good week whenever you're listening to this. I'm, I've had a really nice week, if you're interested. I've had a really nice week. The sun's out. I'm going to a birthday party this afternoon in the park where we're going to be playing rounders, which for our American listeners, I think is the same as baseball. It's probably got different rules, but it's sort of a similar thing. And I'm very excited to be out in the sun and to be playing with my mates because I'm basically a big kid. Um, but yes, before that, I'm doing the top and tail to this week's episode, which is another brilliant one. Before we get into that, I want to say thank you so much to everyone that got in touch after last week's episode with Hannah Bardell. As I made it very clear throughout the interview, I'm such a fan of her. I'm so inspired by her. I think she's just so brilliant. And I think she's such a force of good in politics and bloody hell, don't we need that? don't we need that right now so thank you for listening thank you again to hannah and thank you so much to everyone that got in touch i know that lots of people got in touch with her too and there were people from her constituency that emailed in so it really meant a lot to both of us so thank you for that and maybe you're a new listener who came in via hannah or via one of the other ones this series hello i hope that you're enjoying the series there's loads of previous series so i hope that you enjoy those too We've got another brilliant episode for you today with the fantastic Victoria Scone, who you might be aware of from RuPaul's Drag Race UK. I loved this conversation. I think you will too. But before that, as ever, we've got a couple of listener emails. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me, you always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. This first email that I'm going to share just to flag, it does uh, talk quite a lot about mental health troubles and also about um, eating disorders. If that's something that you don't want to listen to today or maybe ever, that's okay. Maybe just skip forward a couple of minutes and then you'll get in to the interview. Okay. Hi Susie. Hello from a long time listener, first time writer. Thanks for the podcast. It's always interesting. And I loved the Kaylee Llewellyn episode in particular. I wanted to write to share a minor breakthrough in my own journey. It's been a long and torturous road from 14 to 40. I won't bore you with all the details of the soul-destroying internalised homophobia which has blighted my mental health, brackets, just the highlights. I had traumatic experiences with boys and men in trying to convince myself I was straight and repress the insistent attraction to androgynous women, especially after a surreal involuntary outing at 16, which seems indelibly burnt onto my retinas. 
I put myself under enormous pressure to succeed at Oxford University. I was too scared to attend the LGBTQA meetings and parties, hovering in the doorway, then running off to a library. I had a memorable crush on a fellow student with whom I attended tutorials about sexy subjects like medieval monks. Very awkward. Over time, I developed anorexia nervosa, which needed a long hospitalisation in 2013 with other mental health diagnoses, as well as Asperger's syndrome. Every therapist and psychiatrist has identified underlying sexual and gender identity difficulties, but only as an aside to the pressing problem at the time. I can't talk about it with family. I've had one relationship with a woman in 2012, which fizzled out, eventually being ended by being dumped on a train back from a weekend away. Brackets, not bitter. I'm not sure how helpful labels are, but they do seem to provide a framework and a sense of community. In today's terminology, I've recently realized that I'm probably a non-binary asexual gay person. I feel like a stick figure with unnecessary and intrusive bits protruding out. Maybe I haven't met the right person, as most people will say, but sexual intimacy made me disassociate and feel like an extremely bad actor having a terrible audition. On the other hand, being a virgin at 40 is the stuff of bad Hollywood comedies, and it's difficult not to feel inadequate and lonely in a hypersexualized society. I think there's an interesting crossover between gayness and gender identity, body image problems, and ASD. And it would be great to hear an interview with someone at these intersections. This is a big ask, I know, but I'm sure there's many others out there with similar overlapping issues. Anyway, the good news. I'm hoping to see a psychologist soon, finally focusing on all these issues and I've applied to be a volunteer at a local charity supporting young people with mental health difficulties and monitoring their LGBTQIA group. I think things are better now than they were in my teen years in the 90s but I live in a small Welsh town and I'd like to offer some support that I needed at that age. If you do read this out I'm sorry it's rambly and it's fine to say my first name. Thanks Sean. Thank you so much Sean, for getting in touch. I really appreciated your email. And you're absolutely right. I'm sure there is so many people out there that would love an interview at all of those intersections. Um, I, I'll keep trying to um, get people um, from all across the community, but you're absolutely right. And in the next series, I'll, I'll do my best to find someone. And maybe you're listening and you have a suggestion. Uh, please do get in touch. All of the suggestions that I get, I always reach out to people. Obviously, some people don't have time or can't do it, but if you can think of anyone, or maybe it's you, get in touch and uh, maybe we can have a chat at some point. But Sean, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I'm so pleased that you enjoy the podcast. Okay, let's have one more before we move on to today's interview. Dear Susie, hello. I've been meaning to write for a while. I'm a long-time fan of your comedy and have listened to the podcast since the first lockdown. I can't tell you how many dark Sunday evenings and early Monday mornings have been brightened for me by the prospect of listening to the latest episode. I'm a 35-year-old, mainly straight woman living in Brockley, South London. I grew up in Chiswick and your stand-up piece about girls called Poppy really made me feel like my truth was being seen. <laughs> no offence to anyone called Poppy. I don't have an interesting coming out story of my own to share, but what your podcast has reinforced in me is the need to not just be an ally, but be an active ally. Silence and implied support just isn't enough right now, or frankly ever. The podcast and your inspirational and articulate guests remind me every week to be vocal and active in my support. There's still so far for us to go. I would like to think that your podcast drives me to be a better sister, friend and colleague, and to bring out the best in those that I care about. 
I now listen to the podcast with my newborn son and that just reinforces to me the privilege that can be taken so easily for granted from fertility to family and beyond. I can't think of a better, more inclusive way to start forming his view of the world. Once again, thank you. And that's from Fee and baby Theo. Oh, I love I love the idea that a newborn's listening. I mean, he's probably sleeping. If I put him to sleep though, anything, right? Anything to, to make him sleep soundly. Um, but thank you, Fee. This message really meant a lot to me. And um, I love hearing from allies and people that take the time to listen to this podcast uh, because they want to learn more about um, our community and it just yeah it just means the world and it's for you fee as much as it is for everybody else so i'm so pleased that you listen okay let's go on to today's conversation with the fantastic victoria scone i thought this was such a great chat and i really hope that you love it as much as i did oh listen i'm very excited for today's guest i really am i've been looking forward to this one it is victoria scone now the first ever AFAB RuPaul's Drag Race contestant. Not only did she bring charisma, glamour, elegance and humour to Drag Race, she also made history and changed the conversation around women in drag. She also brought a warmth, joy and an honesty to the series and when she went because of a knee injury, I was really gutted to see her go because I knew that she was, I mean she was going to be there to the end let's be honest, but I absolutely loved her and I'm so thrilled that I've got the opportunity to chat to her today. Welcome to the show, Victoria. (laughs) Hello darling, how are you? Now I don't know whether I call you Victoria, when I was like emailing your management about interviewing you, I don't know whether I call you by your stage name yeah or by your name name he also told me so many times that you wouldn't be in drag i was like i understand i understand that she's not in drag it's totally fine it's not video i mean of course i'd love to see her in drag but like three times like, i've made it clear that she's not going to be in drag i was like this is not an issue <laughs> oh that's very sweet yeah imagine if i was that would be a nice surprise now you'd be like wow it would be like pow that's the whole coy is that we make sure that you know your expectations are low and then I come in for the viewers. I am in full drag, you know, just for the, for the fantasy. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Of course. As am I, which is unusual, yes. but we've gone with yes. it. So do I call you Victoria or do I call you your... Well, my real name is Emily, but I don't know. I, I don't mind. You know, not many people in my life even know my real name at this point. You know, drag has become really? so yeah. entwined in my life that only really my my parents... You know, even my mum respects when I'm in drag. Obviously, I'm not now, but when I'm in drag, my mum calls me Victoria which is nice that's brilliant yeah. so I forget what my real name is half the time which is that's quite worrying actually I should probably talk to someone about that <laughs> sometimes we go through like the story chronologically we chat about well we chat about everything anything that you want to chat about mm-hmm. but I guess I kind of want to start with how did it feel being the first sort of AFAB person mm-hmm. in the workroom like how does it work with drag race like do you because do you like send in a video to be like hello i'm a drag queen please can i be on the series is that how it works like doing a self-tape well, literally very that but starting very importantly at the beginning like you said so the terminology is quite important so okay we say so i've been described as well as like the first afab queen but potentially that terminology is actually a little bit little bit not correct oh right okay afab a lot of people don't know what it means i didn't for a while because in in the drag scene we've been called all sorts of things as cis women so that is sort of the the correct terminology it's just like a cis female or cis woman drag queen Mm -hmm. but even then i I wouldn't really want to be you know brought on stage to that dialect i would just want to be called a drag queen you know we don't have we don't say that about yeah cis men drag queens we don't go welcome to stage this cis man drag queen, Bob. I don't know. Why did I say Bob? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the correct terminology really would be a cis woman drag queen. But AFAB stands for assigned female at birth. So you're absolutely correct. And I absolutely am assigned female at birth. But 
if we look at the drag race history, so we've had Got Mick in the American series, who is a trans man. So technically, they are AFAB. Maybe they definitely wouldn't want to be coined as that uh, expression either, right, because yeah. they identify as a man. They are a man. It's all very blurry. But I love that, though, because it's like, you know, we're always learning all the time. I'm learning. I've been called... Mm-hmm. What's the, what used to be called faux queens, which is a bit gross, um, like a fake queen, yeah. or like a bio queen because you're a biological woman. Oh, yeah, I've heard bio before. Yeah, yeah. all sorts of yes. things. Hyper queen, that's another one. Yes. Ah. So many things. So many things. So did it feel, did, was a lot made of it that you were a different kind of queen for want of not wanting to not not knowing exactly what words to use. Yes, yeah. When I was there, not really, no. I mean, the, the only... I, I didn't want to make a thing of it. You know, I very much wanted to prove the fact that there is no thing to make of it. Absolutely. I'm as good of a, a performer and drag queen as, you know, any other the casts and contestants there, and, and I'm sure they, they would agree. Oh, 100%. The only thing I ever asked for was, please, can there be sanitary bins on site? That was the only thing <laughs> that was ever brought up, ever. It was never, ever, never an issue. Because it's not different for me. Maybe it was different for the, the cast and crew of putting on the show. But, you know, I've worked in the scene in near enough, nearly five years now or so. Um, I've been surrounded by all different types of drag, predominantly in Cardiff, it's cis, cis men, sort of old, traditional, mm-hmm. proper British bastard drag, as we call it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm very much used to being in the male presence. Yeah. So it, it was no different for me. It was just like going to work, you know, another day, another day at work. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was very natural. It felt very correct, actually. It didn't feel weird at all. No, and it made perfect sense that you were in that gang and in that group. It was really great to see you there. And I think as well, being a a, a queer woman, Mm. I think it's quite often I feel... I feel like sometimes there could be more efforts to be made for, for lesbian visibility on stuff. I mean... You know, we've got Sue Perkins and Sandy Toxvig, both of whom I absolutely love. I love that everyone always uses them. <laughs> but it shows how minimal it is that we just have the two. Or Claire, if the sports is on. Yeah. We've got you, darling. We've got me. Well, I'm knocking about occasionally, <laughs> but it's not about me. <laughs> but that's why it was like, as soon as like, you know, they cut to like you in like non-drag mm. and then you mentioned your girlfriend I was like fuck yeah <laughs> I know this is the thing just the, just the use of like the words girlfriend and like yeah. um, there was a scene where I was having a little bit of flirty banter with Oti Mabuse and like that's so important mm-hmm. to have it's so important just yes. to have a bit of cheeky queer like lesbian exposure on TV it was so important and so many people talk about like just those small little bits like that like seeing how much I, I talked about Danny my girlfriend you know how she made parts of my costume and I, I'm always so very adamant to talk about our relationship um, and make it so so natural to talk about because when we have queer visibility in general especially if it's directed to non-queer people it's usually men it is yes you know lesbians are completely uh overlooked in my opinion we don't have enough lesbian um, visibility so I, I talk about it all the time but um i'm, I'm sure you do too because it's just it's just so apparent yeah and it, it's sort of exhausting also you sometimes feel like you're i was having the conversation at dinner with some friends who all sort of who, who are my comedy pals and they're all straight which isn't you know and i and i'd like straight people some of my best friends are straight you know they can't but, help it you know. uh, yeah you know it's it's fine i just don't like it shoved in my exactly. face exactly do it shoved in my throat all the time <laughs> <laughs> i was having this conversation at the weekend with them and you, you can't help but sort of 
on the way home, I was like, oh God, did I really sound like I was on my bloody soapbox? But it's because it is so fucking annoying when you're like, oh, but there's gay representation. And you're like, yeah, there's gay male representation. It's so different. And that's why, yeah, like that lovely moment when you were doing the choreography with OT and there was that bit of flirt. And it's, it's, you know, especially with something like Drag Race, which is so mainstream. Mm. And I imagine that probably more straight women watch it than anybody else. Absolutely, yeah. If you look to the demographic. And... You know, to see that playfulness with a straight woman and a gay woman, and that's okay, and that's, you know, just, I don't know, it's being, it's just, just people celebrating being themselves and being cheeky and having fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a great thing to be out in such a mainstream show. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing for people to see, I think. Absolutely. The more it's put in front of you, then the more it normalises it. For us, for straight people, for, for young lesbians to go, oh, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm valid. I, you know, other lesbians are out there being cheeky. and Yeah. You know, there's very British humour as well. You know, we don't get to see, you know, we've got our icons, British women. You know, I know you love them too, like, you know, Dawn French and oh, gotcha. Victoria Wood. But, you know, we we, we, we need that sort of British humour in our in our queer scene. In, you know, we don't get that enough for me and lesbians. And I always try and, um, yeah, channel that a bit. I'm, 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 I hate saying it, but I am very much like, I try and do the, 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 the traditional male comedy, but... In the eye of a lesbian. Oh, well, I think you smashed that if that was your aim on the show because you were, you know, you were funnier than most of the queens <laughs> in that sort of trad, yeah, trad British humour way, mm. which, I mean, I guess historically might have been more done by gay men, mm. but it's not owned by them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just sort of maybe that's the history that you have. But anyway, anyway, let's start. Did you grow up in Portsmouth? I did. You did too, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, but I feel like I'm older than you. I'm 28. Well, we can't be friends because <laughs> I'm 36. Um, so whereabouts did you grow up in Pompeii? Um, so relatively near the King's Theatre sort of area. Oh, my God. I know the area well. South Sea, yeah. Yeah, yeah South Sea. And then um, when I was, I want to say... I want to say six, but I feel maybe a bit older. We moved to like Stubbington, Fairway. Oh yeah, okay. So you've always not, not too far. No, so you were you were around that area. And did you grow up like dancing and singing and showing off yeah. like I did? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Did you go to Chichester? I went to Chichester College. Yeah. Right. So I went to well, I went to a dance school in Portsmouth called Victoria School of Dance for ages, and then oh my god, I know exactly where that was because really? <laughs> I went to Perbrook. I went to Perbrook Academy. Oh my god! It's, you know they've knocked down that like that community centre now. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Very sad. Anyway. <laughs> and I went to South Downs. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so were you, growing up, were you like in musicals and... Pantos. In dancing shows, pantos. Yeah. yeah. So I was in pantos in the King's Theatre and like uh, Fairham. Yeah. Fairham Hall. Fairham Hall? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Fairham, Fairham, Fairham Hall. Fairham Hall. Yeah. Um, and yeah, dance, dance shows, all of that. I was thrust into it. So my mum was in um, like the theatre world. Um, she was right. actually on... Uh, the Benny Hill show. She was a Hills Angel. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so that's that very very old school, very tongue in cheek comedy there. That's you yeah. would not get away with that today, but you know, <laughs> love it. It, it was a different time. It was a very different time. She's. She, I'm proud of her for what she did. She got that money. She did what she had to do. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. good for her. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, she definitely thrust me into the theatre scene without much choice. But I always describe it the the arts in general to me is like a bit Stockholm syndrome like you know like falling in love with your oppressor a bit you <laughs> I, I despised it at times but now I can't escape it it's part of my being and it's knitted into my my soul I just love the arts and I, I can't I can't escape it I I had a whole awful time when I did go to dance college in London with um 
my weight and my image and you know how I would put myself actually into a career but then managed to turn that around so you went to like a proper dance school yeah I went to bird college yeah Oh, yeah, I've heard of birds. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that's like for the listeners who didn't tap from quite a young age <laughs> and um, don't know what it's like to have a teacher say to you, pull your belly in, yeah, yeah. put your bum down. Stare at yourself in tights for hours every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Face, more face, give me more face. That's the sort of things that my dance teachers used to shout. Yeah. Bird is like, it's like a big deal dance college. It's like, you. What, what age were you when you went? I did college and then I did a foundation course so I was a little bit older so I think I was 19 19 and then you would have been dancing like every day of the week every like day. full on like it would have, would it have been like tap ballet modern yep. jazz Everything. like the whole gambit yep. what was your sort of dream at that point when you thought I want to was it West End was it yeah very much that commercial dancer yeah, yeah. I wanted to be in the West End I'm, I'm a singer and I that's why I use singing so much in my drags I don't lip sync at all I actually lip synced paid for the first time ever literally two days ago because i was covering some i covered ella day in the pick and mix tour <laughs> first time i ever lip synced <laughs> um so yeah I'm, I'm a live singer that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be on the west end um mm-hmm. but i just didn't maybe have the physique and that for that because you know the, the whole theater scene is a whole other thing about you know appearance and what you should look like and mm-hmm. but i think it is improving like we're getting more realistic at looking people in in the musical theater which is nice to see uh, whether i would ever be able to dabble in back into that god knows maybe but you'd have to be a victoria wouldn't it i'd have to i'd have to be victoria oh i don't know i don't know i think you could go back in as yourself <laughs> well davida de campo is doing a bloody good job they've done chicago they're doing hedwig and the angry inch that's like really good well i mean there's lots of options yeah, yeah. But yeah that was the game the aim of the game was to get into musical theater my, my agent dropped me when i when i left um college I just wasn't wasn't picking up the gigs I, I was I was obviously a lot slimmer than I am now but I, I was definitely bigger bigger than you probably could be to get a job in musical theatre so that that didn't happen but then I, I I just couldn't escape it so I wanted to carve a way that I could still entertain and that's how I ended up getting into drag I still wanted to keep going with with entertaining and arts and drag kind of combined all the things I love um, like making costumes extravagant makeup uh, I love pantomime I did that from a young early age, which probably really got me into drag. And yeah, it combines all of those things that I love doing. I want to hear more about drag, but before we get there, I want to... So from my point of view, I sort of realised that I was gay and was very aware of it when I was going to dancing club. It wasn't really a club. Everyone was very serious about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we behaved like we were on the West End that night, but we were actually playing like, you know, a 200 seater. (laughs) And I remember being quite obsessed with uh, a girl that I went dancing with and I remember being terrified that people were going to find out about me. Were you out at a young age? Were you aware of your sexuality then? Were you, I don't know, how did that feel for you? I think I always knew, but it was something that I completely suppressed. I don't know why. I don't. I think I've got a very selective memory, and I push. I push horrible memories down. I don't know if it was because I was, you know, surrounded by a lot of girls, and it just wasn't an option. You don't, you know, you don't want to make things awkward and weird. I also had, I well, know, a very supportive father now, but at the time, you know, dad, dad was, um, like, he's an ex policeman, so that wasn't really. It's very like sort of conservative, but you know, definitely mm-hmm. not homophobic. But it was like, oh, you know, this is this is the way. I was an only child, so it was like I, I must be the one that has the babies, which. 
definitely not going to happen. So I don't know why, but maybe it was just an accumulation of different factors of my life made me go, well, this isn't even an option. I'm going to push this down. But I do have a very vivid memory of my mum taking me to see We Will Rock You at the theatre when I, I, t- I must have been, I don't know, 12, 13 or something. And then the show was amazing. And then at the end, Killer Queen came forward and did like a bow and, you know, curtain call bow. And as she leant forward, her breast popped out accidentally out of the costume. And then she went, oh, like put it back in sort of thing, looked at me, gave me a wink. And I went, oh, I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs) What a lovely specific moment to realise your identity. (laughs) So that was the moment I knew, but I didn't really entertain the idea properly until sort of faffing about experimenting in college but I, I never really had a, a full-time proper girlfriend until my Danny now so I didn't come out fully to my parents to, to everyone until I was maybe 20 25 26 really late really late no I don't think it's really late I think that it's I mean I've definitely interviewed people that have come out much later mm. I mean it's tied up in lots of things but I think certainly quite often for gay girls like us it's what we were talking about right at the beginning of the conversation is that you can't, there wasn't anyone to see that I was like, oh, well, she's funny and she's like me and she sort of dresses in a quirky way and I think she's really cool. There was no one, I don't know, any gay woman that I was sort of aware of was very posh. Okay. And so okay. I sort of thought, oh, well, you have to be like, you know, as posh as like Sandy Toxvig or Claire Balding. <laughs> like, you've got to be from money to be a lesbian. Yeah. That's <laughs> Be I haven't got the financials to. I'm ever so sorry. I'd love to. I'd love to go full time as gay, but I just don't have the income. I don't. I haven't got the family income. Um, is there some sort of part time scheme I could be part? Of? Do I need to get a loan out? <laughs> That's so funny. I think the lack of of representation often means that I've spoken to a lot of girls on this pod. When I was talking to Jane Hill, who's like a BBC correspondent, she was saying that she just was so unaware that it was an option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just didn't know. Just, just genuinely didn't know it was an option for her. Well, that's literally written in history because it was like a, a amazing one of the producers on Drag Race, Fleur Cousins. She is really into her football and she's part of a football team called um, the Gold Gold Diggers, which I think is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And um, they they, had, they, wrote, they put this magazine out and there's this amazing article in it about how like 50 years ago when football was literally abolished for women um, and it was like illegal to be gay, but it, it, it wasn't even illegal to be a gay woman because they didn't even acknowledge that it existed. Like it wasn't even a thing that was like, no, well, that doesn't, that couldn't possibly exist. So we don't even need to talk about it. How mad is that? It's like we weren't even relevant enough. We didn't even matter enough to not be allowed. How bad is that? Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, so much of history, certainly queer history, is sort of written by uh, from a male perspective because men were the ones that were allowed pens mm-hmm. and notepaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, we were witches if we did that. But, well, I mean, sure. I'd do some witches, yeah. Why not? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's interesting that I've rarely spoken to someone who... I've spoken to lots of people that had similar experiences to me, but I think being like a... Because I've often sort of referred to myself as a bit camp. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because growing up, I didn't have lots of female gay role models. So instead I was like, I guess I'm a bit like Paul O'Grady. I love that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By default. Yeah, but but it's so nice to speak to someone that's like, oh yeah, you're into musicals as well. Laura Checkley, the actress who was on the show, she is also like that. And we've spoken at length we, whilst being recorded, but also in the pub, about that sort of experience of being a girl that's not like the other girls in those sort of intensely female environments growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm just, you know, all this all coming flooding back to me now. Like weird, weird memories of, um, because I was in like dance and maybe you would have had this as well, that I was very physically fit when I was younger. At the time I had a, I had a six pack and I remember being in school and I must, I don't know, maybe again, like 12 or 13. Um, and we were doing trampolining at school. I think we got this trampoline out of school once a year, very much like public school. For some reason they got this trampoline from somewhere. And I remember being on the trampoline and like my shirt was riding up and my, you know, the, the girls could see that I had a six pack. God, what I would do for a six pack now, I tell you. <laughs> and then I got teased. I really got teased for like looking masculine. And then I was like, Oh my God, I cannot go back to dancing ever again. I don't want to do it. I don't want to look masculine. Yeah. Just like weird. Just that just came to me there. I thought I'd throw that one in. <laughs> no, but that's interesting, isn't it? Because those feelings of like being shamed mm. for being different or other, they're in us. They stay with us. Mm. You know, I definitely do stand up because I'm, I love being a comic and I love making people laugh. But I know that there's a massive part of it that's like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're not being friends with me at school. And it's like, Suze, you're 36. You've got to let this shit go. <laughs> oh, no. Like, no. you have to let it go that you occasionally had, had lunch by yourself. You've got loads of friends now. <laughs> Just chill out. <laughs> I, love I love having lunch by myself now. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's it's preferable. <laughs> but those moments stay with us. So what was it like? I know, I know that you mentioned on Drag Race um, about your sort of body image and um, how difficult that was at dance school do you think that your queerness was all wrapped up in that sort of how you look I'm only asking this because of you saying about that sort of someone saying that it was masculine for you to have a six pack which mm. again I would absolutely kill for know. Um, you know like oh geez the, my dream body has always been Britney Spears in I'm a slave for you but I've, I've really never had mm. the work ethic to get it to have at um, <laughs> <laughs> But was that all, all wrapped up in that? I think so, because I think in dance, skinny equals feminine in dance. There's not really any way around that. You know, the boys are told to bulk, the girls are taught to tone and slim. So me me rebelling against that is me technically going, well, I don't want to be feminine. I don't, don't care if I look skinny or not. I really didn't. I did not care for myself what I looked like. I was happy to be curvaceous. But the only reason I ever wanted to be skinny was for someone else and and that was maybe a good thing that all from the beginning I knew that I didn't care and I, I couldn't couldn't literally couldn't give a toss if I was if I was slim mm. or not the only reason I wanted to do that was for getting a job which was a shame because we should be able to work as in a natural human body and not force ourselves to look like something else to get a job so I think so, so yeah my, my queerness equals to me not needing to look feminine mm -hmm. just something I've touched on a bit with makeup as well at the moment I did a campaign and um, I, I spoke about being where Emily wearing makeup and Victoria being makeup and how I used to think that Victoria was this hyper feminized version of Emily or this hyper, like the peak version of Emily. Like there was only one thing and Victoria was Emily, but better. And I've realized that that's not the case at all. Victoria is a completely different aspect of Emily. Victoria is one fragment of my personality. Um, not even necessarily a feminine one. Sometimes Victoria can be masculine. She's, she's just a completely different thing. And Emily can be a completely different thing. Either or both can be masculine or feminine and neither are none. So I'm going on a bit, yeah, a bit of a discovery with that at the moment, which is, which is quite nice. I'm enjoying that. So when you finished dance college and you, like you mentioned that you were dropped by your agent, what a prick. <laughs> and how did you, I know you said that you sort of found drag because you were like, oh, well, there's all these different things that I can do and how can I do them? Mm. But how did you place that because it feels like such a male-dominated world and I know that there are other uh, cisgendered female queens mm -hmm. but 
I'm not massively aware of them. Were you sort of hunting them out or did you just go to a drag bar and think, fuck it, I'm going to give this a go? No, you're absolutely right. There aren't loads. Um, but I was aware of ones that I could look to and looked up to. So there's Whole Star mm-hmm. has literally been doing drag nearly two decades. Whole Star wow. was in Drag Idol, which is how I actually got into drag, was entering a competition called Drag Idol. Um, so I'd thoroughly recommend that to anyone listening who wants to do drag because although competitions can be, you know, I get it, it's... um. It's technically very beneficial for a club to put on a competition because they don't have to pay for the ads. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. does give you exposure. You know, we all have to start from somewhere. You can't just suddenly put on makeup and call yourself a drag queen. You have to graft. Yeah. Same with comedy. You can't just suddenly get get like get booked. Um, you have to start from somewhere. Um, so, you know, we all say, well, free gigs, you shouldn't work for free, but it's not. It's a competition. You learn your craft. You build relationships. You talk to people build the decorum of the drag scene because it's 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 horrible really it's something that can be horrible what the this scene can be i mean i'm assuming bitchy oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah um, yeah or just completely overlooks like you just won't ever be considered an option or or a or a competition or a problem you know so oh, well then it, you know you won't even get booked you're not you're not, you're not even relevant god that seems to be quite the pattern doesn't it we're not relevant in our sexuality and we're not relevant in our careers <laughs> funny that um, and then we can prove them wrong but i bet you found a change in that since drag race and since being i mean so successful on drag race it did feel like you were like a real series favorite from like the first couple of episodes like Alan, Rue, Michelle, Graham, Matt Lucas were all singing your praises and, you know, making a real point about your validity of being there. But I mean, previous to being on Drag Race, did you find that there, was it tough to get gigs? Was it a bit of a closed shop as someone that is a cisgender woman? It was. It was for me. I can't speak for everyone. Um, It's hard enough, I know, for anyone to get into the drag scene, but for me... I especially felt it was more difficult because I'm a cis woman. I had gigs pulled from me. I, I, for some reason, I felt the need, and it's probably better I did at the time, to say, you know, if, if I was inquired for a gig, I'd say, you know, just, you know, I'm a cis woman drag queen. They would go, oh, sorry, the client wants a real drag queen. Oh. I remember getting that email. I remember it. I might find that one day. I need to look back on that. Yeah, and, like, you know, you would see people that start the same time as you, like the cis men, and you know, they're, they're, plump, they're going off in their careers, getting gigs getting booked left right and center and it's just not happening for me and i don't think you know you could say well you know you're just not as good but honestly we don't hear women talk enough about how good they are and i've had the training i know what i'm good at and i know that i can uh, hold a crowd i can hold a tune so i i, I know it's not that because I've, I've proven that now you know with my i've just done a solo tour and that's gone very very well it was lovely mm-hmm. but you know be the change you want i guess and hopefully now with people seeing you know what i can do they will be more inclined to take the risk and book a book a cis woman drag queen or a non-binary drag queen or a trans drag king or yeah. different types of drag that aren't just cis white men, if I'm very honest. Yeah. But there's a lot of it and I love it. It's my favourite, you know, traditional drag is my favourite kind of drag, old school, bastard drag, but different people could do it too. It doesn't have to just be the same kind yeah. of cis white men. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And does it feel like there's a shift out there in the drag scene at the moment? It does to me. I don't know if that's because I'm in it. I'm very much, you know, You're the forefront change. of it. <laughs> yeah. um, but it does feel like it. If, you know, the amount of people when they 
uh, are able to talk to me at meet and greets and messages I get to say, you know, you've, you've helped me so much. I want to do drag now, or my, my friend's doing drag now, or I've got this gig booked now. It's, it does feel like there is some sort of shift, absolutely. And there's just no excuse now, it feels like. Mm. You know, people are speaking about it more online, like if they see an all-white all lineup or an all-lineup with no kings in it. Yes. It's like, why? What's the excuse now? What is your excuse? There's nothing. Uh, people are able to call it out more. Now, it doesn't not necessarily because of me, but I feel like the shift is happening. Absolutely, yeah. I might be, you know, the first cis woman on this franchise, but definitely won't be the last. I think there's only you can only go onwards and upwards. Oh, absolutely! And I wonder, it can only be so long until drag kings are on there, presumably. Please, please, because people say, "Oh, this stupid excuse of you know, how could you judge a king and a queen together?" Well, that's just bollocks to me because we've seen it on the franchises now. The the drag queens, the cis men are doing drag kinging. Yeah. Monique Hart just came out in like a male presenting runway. How could we possibly say that now? And like the kings yeah. that I know in the in the UK, like Oedipus Rex, Louis Cipher, they are top tier drag. Like Adam All, the costumes they wear, they're more embellished than things I used to wear like pre-drag race. They're not on drag race. They're looking a million times better than I was. And most of the cis men that I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Please, like... People would have thought the same about cis women before I went on. And now yes. they can see it's fine. If we just did it, it'd be fine. Yeah. And I think people would have said previously, you know, in early series of Drag Race, and I mean the American one, you know, anyone that was a bit different really stood out and it felt like, oh, you had to be a real, like, glamour queen. And mm -hmm. and then, you know, and then slowly people started coming through that were more of like the comedy queens or like the alternative scene. And it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know why you wouldn't be able to throw a drag king in there. Absolutely. It's not giving a true representation of British drag by us not having drag kings in the mm. lineup on UK Drag Race. It's not. Drag Race is a reality show. It's not even necessarily competition. It's a reality show. But I still think it's it's got to a point where it's so important and it's so mainstream. It's... It has the responsibility to show a good representation of British drag. Mm. I think that's its responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you're such a trailblazer in that. That must feel quite exciting. It does, but it is very weird. As I said, I've looked up to other people in drag. I'm not the first of my kind, for sure. Cis women have been doing drag donkey's years before me, so... So it's weird to be called that because I would never have thought that that would be the case for me. You know, I couldn't be where I am now if people hadn't have made those steps before me and how's it been being on the tour um what my, my my solo tour well yeah i want to talk about both so the, the current tour that's on at the moment with, with drag race is the season two tour so that's not me but i am actually on that tour because i feature in Lawrence taylor's video <laughs> so <laughs> i somehow wormed my way into all the tours at the moment and then oh, um, that's clever. <laughs> i've somehow done it with all of them so i hosted before drag race i hosted the united kingdoms tour managed to get on that tour now i'm in Lawrence taylor's video i'm in that tour and then i just covered ella on the pick and mix tour wasn't even in that episode on my show but i'm on that tour <laughs> You just can't get enough of me. Um, yeah, so I had my solo tour. That that was really amazing, very surreal, because I've been part of tours where I'm part of a lineup, but where, you know, mm -hmm. it's just you, and you know that every single person in that auditorium is there because they want to see you. They have separated with a, with a sum of money, mm -hmm. and they are there to see you, which is absolutely crazy to me. But it happened. It was phenomenal. I want to do it again. I absolutely love being on tour. I love it. And it just goes to show, again, people don't know what they want until it's put in front of them. But, you know, they've said, oh, you've changed my mind. So that meant you didn't mm. think that cis women could be a drag queen before, and I've changed your mind. Great. Now you've bought a ticket to see my show, so I proved you right, wrong. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> That's brilliant. So I'm thinking, like, when I'm on tour, my makeup and getting ready routine is, I mean, end-to-end, -end, 
probably 25 minutes. Mm. Um, what, what does it look like when you're on tour? Like how long does, all, does your makeup and your outfits take and how many outfit changes do you have across the show? Well, we on tour, we do a meet and greet as well. So you actually have to be ready quite early. So that right. starts at about six. So we don't usually get into a city or check into a hotel till about three. So it's basically you get there, you start getting ready. You start out, get in the shower, get the slap on, get your costumes ready, do a sound check somehow in this time mm-hmm. um, and get ready for sign some prints, get ready for the meet. Yeah. It's all go, go, go. Um, but that's what I love about it. I love it so much. But yeah, it can take, I can do my makeup in about an hour. That's impressive. If I have to. Um, but I like to give myself two hours, you know, with the shower and the, the fantasy and enjoying putting your <laughs> wig on and the jewellery and the, the padding and all that. Because some people forget that uh, they think it's easy for me being a cis woman, but um, I corset, I pad. Yeah. I'm in agony. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, my, my peers that are cis men don't corset or pad. Some of them just go out in their in their natural, gorgeous bodies. But So it's not that easy for me. Another argument about cis women in drag is, well, you don't have to shave, <laughs> right? So as a cis man dragging, you're saying you have to shave now. Oh, so you're experiencing what cis women have been expected to do by society for decades isn't shave. We are expected <laughs> to shave. We can't have any hair on our bodies. We have to shave our armpits. We have to shave anything. We have to shave our legs. So you can just F off. <laughs> That's what I thought about the other day. You're so right. <laughs> it's such double standards. Mm-hmm. Just because you were saying about how much pain you're in. <laughs> How's your knee? It's good. It's very good. Um, in human years it's been over a year now in tv years it's not been that long but um, <laughs> in, in real life it's 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 been over a year lots of lovely physiotherapy um i'm very fortunate that it wasn't a full tear but it was a partial tear to my acl right so i didn't have to have any surgery how did you carry on uh adrenaline and the weight of lesbians on my shoulders <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we were we were putting on you we were holding you down come on lift us <laughs> yeah i know i'm so sorry that i let everyone t- it felt like i let no, everyone you didn't. T- don't be daft i mean it must have been really disappointing that that was the thing oh it was awful it was self-sabotage of the body mm. it wasn't even like i'd made a, a mistake that I, I completely my body let me down at it's uh, it's when i needed it most it was completely soul destroying yeah. and how did you get over that i don't think i ever did i don't think i have now <laughs> really no um i'm trying to say that you know everything happens for a reason and um this will lead to a different thing whatever that may be mm-hmm. um but I just, yeah, I'd like to know the reason, the cosmic reason why the universe made that happen. Um, I'd love to know. Maybe I will one day in a few years' time. I'd go, oh, that's why that happened. Because, yeah, it, it bloody well hurt you know, physically and emotionally, mentally, physically. Oh, it must, because <laughs> it must be such a massive lead up to doing a show like that. How long before you do it do you know that you're going to do it? So for us, it was about two months, right. give or take the isolation period, because we had to oh, of course. isolate. The mid-COVID lockdown, like... impossible to go for fittings impossible to get hold of good fabric without having because you couldn't go anywhere i live in wales i couldn't go to london Mm. and go to like fabric districts and get all the fabric i wanted it was very challenging i had to trust ordering things online what things looked like Mm -hmm. um yeah but we we had about two months um and i i did enjoy i enjoy the pressure if i'm honest and i enjoy working to a to a schedule and to a theme i think that's when i when I'm at my best, actually, I like a theme very much. So I think that's the panto in me. Mm. What's it like in the workroom? Was there a real sense of like community within that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we, more than any cast, we've been ridiculed for being too nice to each other, but we are all very good friends. Everyone is quite nice, if I'm honest. Um, 
you know, there's a bit of bit of TV drama and storylining, but generally, of course, is very of nice. course. <laughs> they have to have it. Yeah, it's got to make a good TV show. You know, we all know why we're there. Yeah, there's got to be got to be something entertaining. And so, what's next for you? What is next to me? Um, I've got a few tours lined up, a few projects, and you know, the, the big question everyone's asking. If I'm going back or not, which I, you know, couldn't possibly confirm or deny. Um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously the question that I want to ask, but I'm well aware that even if I did, you wouldn't fucking give me the truth uh, because you would be, you'd, you'd be NDA'd up to the fucking hilt. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm really excited for the season three tour. So that's yeah. just after Halloween time. I don't work in months. No idea. Dyslexia. Right. Sure, sure, um, sure. Yeah. So I know that I've got Halloween and then that we go on tour with the season three. So I'm very excited about that. I think I'm going to do something very musical today. I'm going to try and cram a whole musical in about six minutes with like costume oh. changes, live singing, all of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll have to come. I'll Please have to do. come. I'll, I'll pop you on my guest list. Oh, now that, that that's an offer I can't refuse. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, the thing that I ask absolutely everyone on this show uh, at the end of the chat. By the way, I've thoroughly enjoyed this and thank you. I was, I genuinely am such a fan of yours and oh. I think that you're doing so much for representation and for our gang. Let's go, let's, let's go. And so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, the, the question that I ask absolutely everyone is what advice would you give to your younger self? Now I've had people on the show that said when I interviewed Gok, he was like, I don't want to give advice to my younger self because that would change the outcome. And Mm. all of the strife that I had to go to has actually got me to exactly where I needed to be. So I don't Mm. want to talk to that version of myself. So it can be like that version of Emily slash Victoria, who was at birds and not finding her place and not having maybe the experience there that she might have hoped she had Mm. Or it can be someone in that position now. Mm. If you could reach out to them and give them a hug and give them a few words of encouragement, what would you say? I would say no one is there to make sure you do the damn thing. No one is going to make you do that. You need to get up and do it. And there's nothing more powerful than a woman who categorically does not need a man sexually, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. That's what I would say. (laughs) I mean, that is the perfect end of the podcast. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. That was the brilliant Victoria Scone. I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Now, you know you can always get in touch with me. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com and I will be back next week with the penultimate episode of this series. But until then, see you later. See you later.